You're listening to Rock's Heart Radio. This month, Roxana Moran talks about women's cardiovascular health in the wake of Roe v. Wade with guests Mary Noreen Walsh, Sadia Khan, and Katherine Lindley. Roxana Moran from Rock's Heart Radio, and we're really, really thrilled to bring forth hopefully a series on women's health, especially in view of the Roe v. Wade recent decision from the Supreme Court taking the political rhetoric right out of the equation and focusing on women's health, especially today on maternal health. So with me today are three incredible experts. We start with Minna Walsh, who I've known and have really looked up to for many, many years. She is past president of the American College of Cardiology, but is the medical director of heart failure and cardiac transplantation programs at Ascension St. Vincent's Heart Center and she's program director of St. Vincent's Heart Failure and Transplantation. I could go on, but she is um, really, really revered. And our expert here today, honestly, we're going to look up to you, Mano, for a lot of your uh, wonderful comments, especially given your special attention in this arena and cardioobstetrics. Our next guest is Dr. Catherine Lindley, uh, Associate Professor of Medicine, Associate Professor of Obstetrics and Gynecology in Washington at Washington University in St. Louis. Uh, she is a clinical expert and investigator specializing in cardioobstetrics. She's currently actually the chair of the Cardiovascular Disease in Women Committee of the ACC. So we're just very, very excited to have her expertise at the table, especially on maternal health, given this uh, recent decision. And then at last but not least, my very, very close friend and colleague, Dr. Sadia Khan, who is Assistant Professor of Medicine and Cardiology and Preventive Medicine over at the Northwestern University Feinberg School of Medicine. Welcome to all of you. Thank you for being here with me. So let's begin our discussion. What was your reaction, Manel, when you first heard about this? What was the first thing you thought about in terms of maternal health and what this means, this decision means perhaps for our women who are at high risk for pregnancies? Yeah, thanks, Roxana. Thanks for having me. Um, I think, you know, we knew it was coming because of the uh, leak that we'd heard from the Supreme Court, but nonetheless, uh, it was pretty tough to to hear the actual news. My biggest concern uh, is the overall impact on women's cardiovascular health in the United States. But I think one of the most important things we need to talk about is the fact that maternal mortality uh, is higher in states with less access to care of all kinds, not, not just termination, but all kinds of access to care. And, and Dr. Lindley's an expert on this. As I know, she sits on uh, Missouri's maternal mortality board. But I think what we're going to see is likely increasing maternal mortality, and it'll be very state-specific. We'll probably see a rise nationally, but I, I do um, have concerns about, especially I'm, I'm in a state in Indiana where there's a uh, remains access to care currently, but there's going to be a special session of the state legislature to uh, consider some type of restriction. And that's coming later this month. So I, I think we're going to see a lot of variabilities from state to state. Yeah. I mean, when we see these huge rises in maternal mortality, especially right here in our own country, where 
access to care should be sort of a, almost like a right for our patients, but we know and we've seen that this has been a tremendous impact. Dr. Lindley, I'd love to hear your views, your expertise, given uh, your position over in Missouri. Do you want to comment on that? Yeah, thanks for having me today. I, I agree completely with uh, Dr. Walsh's comments. And, you know, I anticipate seeing not only our very uh, concerning rates of maternal mortality and severe morbidity rising, but importantly, really increasing disparity gaps. We know already that patients who uh, live in rural areas of the country, who have low socioeconomic needs, who um, belong to minority ethnic or racial groups, have substantially worse uh, overall and cardiovascular outcomes related to pregnancy. And those patients are the patients who are going to have the hardest time accessing care because, um, you know, they won't have the means to easily travel to another state where they can undergo an abortion should they need one for medical reasons. Um, They also live in areas of the country where it's harder to access the full spectrum of contraceptive care, including highly effective methods of contraception, such as um, long-acting reversible methods like the IUD or the implant. And it's also much more challenging for these patients to receive things such as the morning after pill. So, you know, I think what we can expect to see is patients who already have challenges receiving ongoing primary care and interpregnancy care are going to be receiving later prenatal care, more difficult access to pregnancy termination when they need it. So we're going to end up seeing later terminations, which will be more complicated or more women with underlying cardiovascular disease or risk factors not undergoing terminations. And, um, you know, both those women who have high risk underlying cardiovascular disease are going to be carrying out full term pregnancies, but also just women with cardiovascular risk factors for things like um, you know, preeclampsia, we're going to see those rates rise as well, which is really a major contributor to severe morbidity and mortality. Oh, those are daunting, daunting uh, statistics that are going to come our way. And it really makes me feel very uncomfortable hearing that. Dr. Khan, I know you have spent a lot of time thinking about this and what it really means and what those numbers mean to you. And do you want to comment on that? And then let's talk about how we're going to take this head on. I think, and I completely agree with the excellent points by Drs. Walsh and Lindley. And I I think, you know, you opened this by your heartfelt comments about what a profound setback this is for women's health and health equity. And one of the things that's so important is that this issue is not just going to affect women, but it's going to affect society. It's going to affect their families. It's going to affect every aspect of our lives. And I think that cannot be overstated enough. One of the things that's been very striking to me as we've looked at the statistics for maternal mortality is how much those increases have occurred in women below that advanced maternal age. We know that age is a very important risk factor for cardiovascular disease, for maternal morbidity and mortality, but the increases that we're seeing are occurring even in women under the age of 35 even in women under the age of 25. So this is a really important aspect of this. And if we start to look at the cardiovascular risk factors that are becoming more prevalent, we know that less than 50% of pregnant people enter pregnancy with optimal cardiovascular health. And that's only worsening in recent years. So this is not just 
a huge problem today, but it's also a growing problem in terms of, the, as Dr. Lindley mentioned, the increases that we're expecting to see in maternal morbidity and mortality, and that would be happening even if Roe v. Wade wasn't overturned. But now we're also limiting access to care when it may be needed. Uh, such an important point. I read somewhere, and I may be wrong, but maybe you can tell me that now the average travel, uh, length of travel for a woman needing for termination would be 700 miles. Of course, that's not the case here in New York where I am, I am, but I think when you put it all together in our vast country and think about the distances that need to be traveled, and I think Dr. Lindley, you were the one who mentioned that. So in what way can we tackle this as a physician group, as cardiologists who care about maternal health and women's health? How do we, and societal health, human health, what do you think is going to be some of the ways that we can tackle this problem? And Dr. Walsh, I know that you don't, you know, I'm on the board of trustees at the moment. You're a previous president. I know we don't speak on behalf of ACC officially, but we know that ACC has a strong stance on human health and improving cardiovascular care for every human. What do you think is going to be the role of societies, let's say, in this and then let us talk about the field of cardioobstetrics that I think is going to really explode now with, with these uh, new decisions. Um, yeah, I, I don't speak for the college, but the college, uh, as I think you know, Roxanne made a statement um, about Roe v. Wade being overturned, as did many other professional societies. But I think really importantly, the college has also become very activated through its board of governors. Um, this is now a fight in the states. And um, at least right now, maybe federal down the road, if, if we see a change of the, of the federal rules. But we have a very activated board of governors. And we, are, uh, we have a, a cardioobstetrics work group in the college under the sort of under the umbrella of the early career um, section and also the cardiovascular disease and, and women committee that Dr. Lindley chairs. And uh, we've availed ourselves to the board of governors and are providing information and toolkits so that people in individual states that are facing very differing uh, tasks in front of them to try to talk to their, their representatives and state senators and governors. Um, so I think societies, professional societies have a very pivotal role in helping non-healthcare uh, professionals to understand the implications in, in not just cardiovascular health of women, but health of women overall. Dr. Lindley, what do you think we as a group, you know, uh, cardioobstetricians or cardiologists should be doing together? Do you think that the clinics like cardioobstetrics clinics will, are going to just explode into like really, really assessing cardiovascular risk and dealing with human health? What do you think we should be doing in this way? You know, my, my, feeling really for all of medicine and particularly for, for cardioobstetrics is that, um, you know, it's really time for us to transform the way that we're delivering care to patients and to sort of step out of the siloed care that we've been providing patients for, 
the past many decades and really transform our care into truly integrated multidisciplinary care platforms. And we've begun to see this in some other areas of care, such as, you know, valve teams and heart transplant teams, et cetera. Um, and we need to see this more universally in, um, in cardioobstetrics care as well. Um, I think for a long time, uh, cardiologists have not viewed uh, reproductive care as a part of their uh, of their umbrella of, of care, but it's just not true because cardiovascular disease is the leading cause of maternal death, a major cause of maternal mortality, and appropriately counseling patients on their pregnancy risk, on contraception safety, and helping provide team-based care through pregnancy and postpartum is really essential. So um, what I hope to see through the work group's efforts and through other, other groups' efforts is that we can increase the sort of army of cardioobstetrics experts that are available throughout the country so that there can be sort of um, nodes of expertise that are available throughout the country, and then really to develop a virtual and physical referral network to those expert centers. And then additionally, it's going to be really essential that all cardiovascular um, clinicians develop a greater baseline knowledge of cardioobstetrics so that every single cardiovascular clinician develops baseline competency in discussing contraception and pregnancy risk through CMEs and, you know, society meetings and, and COCATS training um, such that, you know, just like we, everyone knows how to manage basic ACS, everyone should know how to do basic reproductive counseling, and that should be an expected part of our job. I love that. Dr. Khan, your, your comments here? I just want to echo what Dr. Lindley was mentioning in terms of cardioobstetrics and pregnancy care, not just beginning and ending with pregnancy. We've had a growing awareness that the early postpartum period or the fourth trimester is really an important period when cardiovascular complications can arise, but also that interpregnancy period or the period before someone becomes pregnant. And we have great data that demonstrates that optimizing cardiovascular health can improve pregnancy outcomes during that time. But many individuals have fragmented access to healthcare, particularly postpartum or among young adults who are not yet pregnant before they Medicaid can kick in. So really being able to take that whole life course and approach and ensuring that there is continuous uninterrupted access to care for pregnancy capable individuals is a critical piece of this. Wow. Those are fantastic. I mean, I feel like we've only just begun this conversation. We, as you know, my podcasts are always short and sweet. So because all of our audiences, unfortunately, no matter how important these issues are, have a short attention span, but our listeners are really, really loyal. So this will be part one and part two will be coming hopefully soon. And uh, thank you so much for your wonderful expertise, your comments, your passion, your care for women's health, but for in general for cardiovascular care and improving that for your patients and for every, every, and for the, for the population. So thank you again for being on this podcast with me. Thank you all for listening. Please come back. Part two will be coming with Drs. Khan, Lindley, and Walsh. Thank you again. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.